This is Golf Talk Canada, Canada's only national golf talk radio and TV program. Presented by TaylorMade and the all-new Stealth Driver with a red carbon face for better energy transfer and more ball speed. Welcome to the Carbon Age. Now, here are your hosts, Mark Sacchino, Bob Weeks, and Adam Scully. Good morning, golf fans, and welcome inside Golf Talk Canada. I'm Adam Scully. Today is a special best of edition of the show, given it's the August long weekend. We thought we'd take a a step back this week and play some of our favorite interviews from the last stretch of golf. It's been a very busy stretch of golf. The major season is over on the men's side on the LPGA Tour, the Women's British Open taking place later this week. Brooke Henderson looking to go back to back. But today on on today's show, we're going to play some of our favorite interviews, including Mark going one-on-one with Dr. Sasho McKenzie about the stack system, which is something that Matthew Fitzpatrick used to gain a lot of club head speed. And that really paid dividends for him when he won the U.S. Open back in June. We'll play one of our favorite winners, Weird and What, from a recent show. We'll also hear from a couple of winners from PGA Tour Canada. Uh, I, I love talking about the PGA Tour Canada on this show, talking about some of the stories of where these players have come from. And hey, they could be the future on the PGA Tour. But first, yes, Brooke Henderson. Just a couple of weeks ago, she picked up major number two. Her first major championship since 2016 and her 12th career LPGA Tour win. And this opened a can of worms talking about, is she the greatest of all time? And without a doubt, I certainly think she is the best Canadian golfer of all time. We'll hear Mark and Bob talk about that a little later in this segment. But she's the only Canadian to have won multiple majors, of course, back in 2016. Then a couple of weeks ago, Mike Weir won the 2003 Masters. Sandra Post back in 1968 as well with a major championship. Brooke Henderson, very impressive. And speaking of impressive, that final round at the Evian Championship didn't get off to the best start. She was three over through 13 holes, including a bogey and a four putt when she made a double bogey. But she really got it together for the last five holes. That composure, that focus, three under in her last five holes. Of course, that birdie on her 72nd hole, clinching the major championship her second victory of the season. It was a lot of fun to watch Brooke win the Evian Championship. And immediately after she won, she went one-on-one with Bob. Well, Brooke Henderson, I don't know if, if you realize that you had an entire country sitting on the edge of its seat, biting its nails, and then leaping into the air when you won with that final 12-foot putt. Uh, congratulations. What a performance. Uh, how are you feeling? I know it's only been a few minutes since you won, but what's, what's it like right now to be a two-time major champion? Oh, it's, it's amazing. Um, yeah, you know, definitely not the start that I wanted today. Uh, pretty poor, um, but, you know, to bounce back on the back nine was amazing. And, you know, I was never really out of it. And I just tried to keep reminding myself of that and, you know, to make three birdies in the last five or six holes there. Um, and then obviously that putt on 18, um, to have that go in and, and seal the victory, um, just phenomenal. I'm just super excited and uh, hopefully I can just ride this momentum uh, for a while. We'll, uh, we'll get into that putt on 18 in a second, but 
what what did you have to do after that slow start? As you pointed out to me earlier, um, after 11 holes, you're three over par. How did you dig deep? How did you pull that out and, and give yourself the confidence to go down that stretch? Uh, yeah, you know, just trying to remind myself that I wasn't out of it. I was still like in the lead or just right there. And, uh, you know, the saying that major championships are won on the back nine on Sunday, I just try to remember that. And, um, you know, I just really tried to dig deep as hard as I could and, um, you know, just really try to connect to the insides and, and you know, try to make as many birdies as I, as I could coming in and um, just, you know, never, try, never lose faith and, and just try to hit good shots and, and see where it could get me. And, you know, I'm just grateful to be sitting here, uh, major champion again, which is amazing. And yeah, just trying to dig deep. Uh, the tee shot on 18, when you hit that one, tell me what your emotions were like. Oh yeah, that wasn't very good either. Um, the goal was was to try to hit the fairway and uh, go for the green in two and kind of make it easy on myself. Um, but unfortunately, the driver wasn't necessarily my best friend today. So, um, but uh, you know, to hit that pro shot in there, uh, pretty close, um, and have an opportunity to make birdie and and to win, um, that was super exciting. And I, I didn't want to have to go to a playoff. I didn't want to have to hit that tee shot again. So, uh, you know, I just tried to do everything that I could to make that pop. And, and what's, what's standing over your, what's going through your mind as you're over that putt? How, how were you able to sort of put the emotional part of it out of it and concentrate on the mechanics of it? Um, yeah, you know, so, Britt and I both read it and we saw the same thing. And so that always is a little extra confidence, you know, when you're both reading it the same way. And uh, I just tried to, you know, uh, know what was at stake. So I, I knew I needed to make it. Uh, so I knew I had to, you know, give it a good run um, and just be confident over the read. And, you know, my putting was really solid the first three days. It was okay today, kind of a little up and down um, situation today, but, you know, I just knew I needed that one putt. So, um, yeah, I just really tried to be in the moment and tried to uh, make it so I didn't have to go to a playoff. Tiger Woods has said that, he feels the most satisfied when he's able to get a good score when he doesn't have his A game. Was that what, was that a satisfaction for you? I know winning a major is a big part, but you did it really without your, your best stuff, correct? Uh, yeah, no, today wasn't my best for sure. Um, it, it was a bit rough there for the first 11 holes, um, but, you know, to, to be able to turn it around like that um, and kind of stay patient while things weren't going great um, was a, was a big deal and it, it feels good. Um, I feel like that's just another um, thing that I learned and another stepping stone towards the future that I can add when I'm in that situation I, again, hopefully. Um, but I just, yeah, you know, to win and not play your best, I feel like that is an amazing feeling. And it just shows that um, if you have a lot of grit and determination, and you can really pull out a lot of uh, victories and a lot of good scores. <laughs> uh, You've, you're, you've won 12 times now, the winningest Canadian golfer of all time. You've won two majors. You're the only Canadian golfer ever to win multiple major championships. What's next? <laughs> uh, yeah, you know, to win two times in a year, I love to do that. So to get the second win this year in 2022 is amazing. Hopefully I can get a few more this year. That would be incredible. But, you know, just to play against the best in the world every single week and, you know, to be at the top of the leaderboard is always an amazing feeling. So uh, hopefully just keep the momentum going and see what happens. I, I can't imagine uh, you've got, I know you've got the Scottish Open, you've got the, the Women's British Open. I can't imagine what it's going to look like in Ottawa when you're there for the CP Women's Open. Have you 
even given that any sense of imagination of what that's going to look like when you step on the property at the Ottawa Hunt and Country Club? Uh, you know, in 2017, I was truly amazed at uh, how many people were there and how much love and support I received. So I'm super excited for this year. Hopefully, you know, tons of family, friends, and just all the fans come out to watch because I think it's going to be one incredible week. And um, I would love to keep the momentum that I have right now rolling um, and to be able to you know, put on a good show, have a good finish. Uh, I think that'd be really exciting for everyone. Well, you got a nation, nation celebrating here. Everyone's, uh, I think it's Brooke Henderson day unofficially, but, uh, but we'll have an official one. I'm sure at some point uh, it's, it's only fitting. Congratulations on major number two, uh, a great performance, a gritty performance, as you said, and we'll look forward to, uh, to seeing you uh, at the open championship in a couple of weeks. Awesome. Thanks so much, Bobby. Brooke and Bobby. Thank you for that. Great stuff from Brooke Henderson. Major number two. And there's another major this week, the Women's British Open. I'm curious to see how Henderson plays in this one coming up. She withdrew from the Scottish Open last week to rest up for this Women's British Open. And this is a major where she hasn't actually had a top 10 in her career. Her best finish is a tie for 11. So I'm curious to see how Brooke plays. Now, a big reason for her great recent surge on the LPGA tour has been with the flat stick and she's using this left hand low grip, which has made a huge difference for her this season. Now she's 49th on the LPGA tour in putting average. She was 34th back in 2019, but in 2020 and 2021, she struggled. She was 104th in 2020 averaging 30.51 putts per round in 2021 111th on the LPGA tour. Now we should mention too, that in 2019 and 2022, she won multiple tournaments in both years where her putting stats were significantly better. You know what the saying is drive for show putt for dough and Henderson throughout her career has been one of the great ball strikers on the LPGA tour. And when she's putting well, look out Brooke Henderson. For much more on Henderson's second career major championship, here's a little snippet from our Golf Talk Canada television show where Mark, Bob, and I discuss Henderson's victory. Mark, let's start with you. Just how impressive was Henderson's victory? What a victory by Brooke Henderson. Uh, I mean, this might be, when we look back, one of the most important wins of her career. And that's easy to say with a major. But it's saying a lot when you consider this is a young lady that got it done on Canadian soil, something the men have not been able to do for six decades. Uh, someone that took down Lydia Ko when Lydia Ko was the most dominant player in the female game. The reason I've been putting so much value and so much weight in this win is to get it done on Sunday when you're obviously struggling, when you had one hand on the trophy and you know you opened this event with 64-64 and, and was almost about to turn this major into a parade and, and kind of watched it slip away. To settle down 33 of your last five holes, trust your new putting grip when you had a birdie to win the championship. These are huge building blocks for the next five, 10 years of Brooke Henderson's career. I think it's absolutely massive. And, and to steal a line from Peter Costas, he says the first thing that breaks down when a player feels pressure and doesn't know how to deal with it, it's their ability to think on the golf course. Brooke Henderson was thinking very clear those last five holes. And even with that bad swing on 18, she settled down laid it up to a yardage she liked, gave herself a chance to win the golf tournament. I mean, this is just so impressive 
from a young lady who's done nothing but impress us the last six or seven years. She's been so impressive throughout her LPGA Tour career. Can't wait to see what's next uh, for Brooke Henderson. Okay, Bob, last week on the show, we spoke about how our expectations were high for Henderson heading into the Evian Championship. In a tournament that previous to last week, she only had two top tens in her career at the Evian. Uh, what was your uh, thoughts on Brooke Henderson's victory at the Evian Championship? I guess similar to Mark, I think that getting it done without your best stuff is a, is a real mark of maturity to her game. You know, maybe five, six years ago, that wouldn't have happened when she got into the trouble at the start. She might have uh, let the wheels fly off a bit, but I think her patience was there. I think she relied a lot on her sister and Caddy and Brittany for reassurance to, and, and just some guidance there and some, some uh, good talk between the two of them, she had said afterwards. And I think... When you look at some of the clutch shots, I mean, the, the tee shot on 14 into the par 3, that's a really, really difficult hole to hit the ball close. It's a scary shot. Uh, driver off the deck on 15 for her second shot I thought was pretty bold as well. And then that putt on the 18th hole, that was clutch. She said afterwards, you know, I just don't want to go to a playoff hole. I don't want, I want to end things right now. That's the sign of someone who wants to win rather than is afraid to lose. And I think what we've seen in Brooke Henderson now is this maturity and uh, you know, she's, she's right up there, as we said, the, the best Canadian golfer of all time. I know you can put her alongside with, with uh, what Marlene Street accomplished as an amateur. You know, we look back at Gary Cowan with two uh, U.S. Uh, amateur titles. You look at Sandra Post's career. She won the, uh, what's now the ANA or the Chevron Championship. She won that twice before it was a major. So she's won big events. But I think this one really tops it all in, in the way that Brooke has done it. And she's only 24. She's got so much ahead of her as well. This is just going to be piling on, I think, eventually when she starts uh, uh, thinking about retirement. Who knows how many majors and how many titles she'll have. Yeah, it's hard to believe she doesn't turn 25 until about six weeks from now. Now, Mark, you mentioned it a little during your answer, talking about how she got the victory without having her best stuff on Sunday. But her final round was definitely a roller coaster, too. Three over early on and birdieing three of her last five to get the victory. What does that say about Henderson's composure and the way for her to bounce back to get this victory? Yeah, you know, Bob used the word maturity, and I think that's a great word. And the reason I'm so high on this victory is that, listen, it's never easy to win ever, regardless of what tour you're talking about. But it's certainly an easier path to victory when you're finding the center of the face, when your eyes seeing the shots and, and it's fitting the windows and, you know, you're gaining that confidence when you, you're not maybe hitting it the way you want. Maybe things aren't going the way you want. That's a different type of victory. And it's it's almost a new tool in the tool chest for Brooke, in a way. Uh, I mean, winning with your A-plus game, check, we've done that. Winning with the pressure of a hometown crowd, check, we've done that. Winning against the best player in the world, check, we've done that. Now can she, she can say, hey, I know how to hang around a major championship. I know how to get it done when I don't have that A-plus game. There are many different ways to win a golf tournament. She kind of plotted her way around hung around, stayed in there. And I think this just gives her more tools for the tool chest for the next five, 10 year window. And to Bob's point, the sky's the limit for Brooke. This is really just going to be keep piling on, piling on. And a lot of this is going to come down to how Brooke just wants to keep doing this and dedicating herself to the game of golf. My expectation would be, or my hope would be that she wants to do this another 10 years and, and just crush the Canadian record books and solidify herself as the greatest of all time, which I believe she already is. But uh, wow, what a Sunday. Mark, imagine it right there, the greatest Canadian golfer of all time. Bob, in your minds, is now she, the, is, now, is Henderson now the goat of Canadian golf? 
I think so. I don't think there's any disputing that right now. I think what she's achieved in a very short period of time is remarkable. Uh, you know, you can go beyond the two victories, the, the two majors, I should say, and the 12 victories, and just look at the percentage of top 10 finishes that she's put together. It's about 30%. It's almost every third time she's logging a top 10. So she is not only a, a big winner, but she's a consistently good player throughout her career. It's very, very rare to see her have a bad day on the golf course. Mark, in your minds, is she the greatest of all time? Uh, hands down, Adam, it's just not a matter of she's the greatest. It's just, just going to be she's the greatest by how much margin is what we're counting now. The sky's the limit for Brooke Henderson. This is now the fifth time already in her career that she's won twice in one season on the LPGA Tour. Amazing to see Henderson get major number two. Can't wait to see her this week at the Women's British Open. Our Golf Talk Canada Best Of continues next. This segment of GTC was presented by TaylorMade. TaylorMade and the all-new Stealth Driver with a red carbon face for better energy transfer and more ball speed. Welcome to the Carbon Age. This is Golf Talk Canada presented by TaylorMade. This segment of GTC is brought to you by Caddy Time the Uber-like app that allows golfers across Canada to find affordable, qualified caddies to any round. Visit caddytime.com. Download the app or talk to your PGA professional today. Welcome back inside our best of edition here on Golf Talk Canada. I'm Adam Scully. Well, we have a number of sponsors here on GTC. One recent new one is caddy time a very unique program so what's caddy time all about here's mark with wes veza joining me now wes veza wes uh, had the opportunity to be part of the caddy time caddy experience up at the 100th celebration of the pga of canada championship up at beacon hall uh just over a week ago uh, Wes, thanks for taking the time to do this uh, uh with me before we get into your experience at beacon hall have you always caddied? Has it always been part of your life? Or is this something that you just said, hey, I want to go try this? Uh, I've been caddying on and off for about 15 years now. Um, it's always been something I've enjoyed doing since, since I played collegiate golf when I was younger. Uh, I have a few friends in the industry who, who tee it up from time to time competitively. And typically when they're looking for a looper, they give me a shout. Um, so you, that those are hard bags to find though so you know how you know so I'm, I'm assuming somebody like you when caddy time hits the radar and you go wow okay this kind of spoke to you immediately right away of something of interest absolutely uh a few years ago i was i used i used to think about ways of trying to match golfers and caddies because as you said the hardest part about being a caddy is is finding regular work i mean if I just focus on the network of golfers, I know I might get five or six rounds a year, uh, but caddy time kind of bridges that um, they, they, that's the solution to that problem. They're matching golfers and caddies. And okay. So how, how easy or difficult for that matter, was it to sign up on the app to say, Hey, I want to be part of the caddy system. And what process did you go for? Because obviously, you know, somebody, you know, like my stepson, for example, who works at a back shop at a, at a private golf club here in Toronto, he has kind of shown interest like, hey, I want to do this. 
but his level of caddying versus your level of caddying, two very different things. So how was the process just to get registered and how do they identify you as somebody who actually knows a little bit about what they're doing out there? Well, what they do, it's, 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 it's a really smart system and it's super easy to navigate through. But uh, the long and short of it is when you sign up as a caddy, you take a, a short test. And depending on how you perform on the test, they rank you as a bronze, silver, gold, or platinum level caddy. Um, if, if, if you do achieve platinum level status, then you're able to caddy at the CPGA championship for, for pros. Uh, if you're not at that level, then they match you accordingly uh, with golfers that maybe don't need a caddy of that level. They're just looking for someone to kind of help them navigate the course. Beginners, new people who are new to golf, they might not understand the nuances of, of navigating 18 holes, in which case a silver or gold level caddy might, might do them just fine. All right, so obviously at your level, you got to, to participate in the PGA of Canada 100th uh, edition of that championship. The names on that trophy are crazy when you, when you take a look. Who did you caddy for? What was the experience like? <clears throat> Excuse me. I caddied for a, a gentleman named Billy Houle out of, uh, out of Quebec, Joliet Golf Course, and uh, the experience was unreal. Uh, Billy played really well the day we, we, we were matched together, and... Um, uh, it, 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 we, we, we seem to hit it off pretty quick. And I mean, frankly, that's, it's kind of the caddy's job to, uh, roll with, uh, uh, the character of the golfer, right? Not all golfers are the same and we need to figure out really quick if, if the golfer wants, you know, a chatty, upbeat, talkative round, or if they just want to put their head down and go to work. Um, so we figured out where we were and how to communicate real quick. And, and we had a great day on the course and what a phenomenal course that was, by the way. That's yeah, one of the best in the country. Okay, yeah. Wes, uh, before we let you go, uh, give me the reasons why in your mind, if someone's thinking of, you know, taking up caddying, whether it's a part-time job, whether they're already involved in the golf industry, whether they're already kind of quasi attached to this, you know, why sign up as a caddy? And part two of this, as a consumer uh, who, you know, loves to golf, loves to walk, hates to deal with their gear, yada, 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 as a consumer, why would you use the app? Okay. Um, I think for most golfers, most people who, who love the game, uh, spending four or five hours on a golf course isn't work. It's not. Uh, I truly enjoy just being on the course. Um, if I'm playing golf, I'm paying a hundred bucks or so to go spend four hours on the course. If I'm caddying, uh, I'm getting paid to do the same thing. I'm still on the course. I'm still part of a team trying to go low. Um, typically by the 15th hole, I'm, I think to myself, wow, we're on 15 already. Cause I've had so much fun. And I think most golfers could appreciate that. Uh, the second part of the question, um, I would I would challenge golfers uh, to think about different perspectives on who needs a caddy and why. Uh, a lot of golfers think you don't need a caddy unless you're competing in a in a competitive event, but realistically, um, golfers at any level could benefit from having a caddy. If 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 you're new to golf, uh, it's great to take lessons on the range with your local pro. But 
it could be equally beneficial to spend four or five hours on the course, walking the course, navigating the course with somebody who knows how to, how to navigate a golf course. Um, if you've got a, a young teenager getting into the game and you want to drop them off at the course for the day, maybe get him a caddy and he's got someone to talk golf with for five hours. Uh, conversely, if you're, if you're playing around with, uh, with your friends on Sunday morning and, you know, maybe you're playing for a couple of pops or whatever your stakes are, it'd be, you know, really beneficial to have a teammate out there with you versus uh, going at it solo. So just challenge your perspective. You'd be surprised how many people um, need a caddy and don't even know it. <laughs> <laughs> That's great advice, uh, Wes. You got to maybe change the way you're looking at something and maybe uh, uh, find new ways of enjoying the game. I try to use a caddy, especially when I travel. I, I tend to tap into caddies more so than ever to, before and go, why aren't I doing more of this at home? Thanks. Right. Thanks yeah. so much for your time. Enjoy the rest of your summer. Thanks, Mark. You too. Take care. This segment of GTC presented by TaylorMade was brought to you by Caddy Time, the Uber-like app that allows golfers across Canada to add affordable, qualified caddies to any round. Visit caddytime.com. Download the app or talk to your PGA professional today. This is Golf Talk Canada, presented by TaylorMade. This segment of GTC is brought to you by WeatherTech Canada, Canada's leader in automotive accessories. Welcome back inside our August long weekend best of edition of Golf Talk Canada. I'm Adam Scully. Next up on this best of is an interview we ran recently on the Swing Lab Performance and Therapy Center with Michelle Liu. Now, this is something that I've been to a number of times. I had my fourth appointment actually this past Friday, and what a time. It, it's, it is eye-opening, I have to say, to go to the Swing Lab Performance and Therapy. You get checked out, you get a total body assessment, and then you get some drills specifically to help strengthen the muscles needed to hit better golf shots. And I mean, as I get into this interview, this isn't bench press, this isn't squat, this isn't deadlift, all exercises that I really love to do. These are specific to golf, rotation, spine flexibility, hip strength, stuff like that. With much more, here's Michelle Liu from the Swing Lab Performance and Therapy Center. And we're pleased to be joined by Michelle Liu, the founder of Swing Lab Performance and Therapy. Michelle, welcome to Golf Talk Canada. Thank you for having me on the show. Well, just so our viewers and listeners know, I've seen you a couple times and we'll get mm -hmm. into that because you have changed my golf off season and I am so excited <laughs> for golf season just around the corner here in the GTA. But for those who aren't aware, give us a sense of what the Swing Lab Performance and Therapy is all about. So I started Swing Lab Performance and Therapy about four years ago. The main idea was that we want to be able to look at how people utilize their body in the golf swing to help people either prevent injury, recover from injury, or also if you struggle to achieve something in your golf swing, we look at what is happening with the body and how you're utilizing it in the golf swing to figure out basically the why you can't do it or you do certain things in the golf swing then that way we can work on the root cause which is changing how your body moves and help you achieve that changes in the golf swing 
Well, and the beauty of this, Michelle, is that any golfer, any age can go and see you, whether you're 10 years old, whether you're 75 years old. I'm sure you have clients who are a number of different ages. Yeah, so right now we do see um, golfers as young as we have a couple between like six to eight. Those are like competitive, very highly high level competitive juniors. And then we have clients as old as like 82 she will have someone 80 that started golf at 70, which was pretty cool. <laughs> so yeah, the main thing is because we're looking at more the body as long as someone has a developed swing pattern, we can take a look and see how they utilize the body and how to make it more efficient so that they don't get injured and also perform better. Now, I've been through a couple of sessions, like I mentioned, but walk us through the process of when someone comes in and sees you for the first time. Yeah, for sure. So for the first appointment, usually we go through the whole 3D biomechanics assessment, and we will start with a comprehensive head-to-toe physical assessment, looking at your mobility, how the joints move, your range of motion, and we do neuromuscular testing to see how the muscles are firing, the major ones we need in the golf swing, if they're working or not. And we also go through some tests to see how you control motions when we're loading the hip joints and the different joints in the body. Then after that, we go through and do a 3D biomechanics analysis of your golf swing, where we'll break down to see all the tilt, rotation angles and all the fun stuff, like all the numbers in the little robot, so that we can tie that back to what we know with your body to figure out the connection in between to see how we can make it better and so that's where you see how you can make it better so after the first assessment i went to you sent me i believe it was seven or eight different exercises to help mobility mm -hmm. flexibility and strength but these aren't your typical you know squat deadlift bench press these are exercises built directly to enhance your golf swing your core your legs your hips so it they're not your typical exercises but they're exercises specifically for golf, correct? Yeah, I would say yes, they're specifically for golf, but they're more targeted to exactly to what we saw in the physical assessment, right? So sometimes we get people where they don't necessarily have a mobility issue in the physical problems, but then they have the range of motion, they just don't know how to control how to move that in the golf swing then the exercises will be different and people that are restricted in mobility, they will have to regain the mobility first, depending on what the cause is. And then from there, we progress into strengthening. Yes, but like you say, it's not the typical strengthening exercises you see. At the beginning, you don't really need a lot of resistance or weight training is more getting the right muscles to work and it can be pretty tough on people. <laughs> Well, it can certainly be pretty tough on people, but I, I feel personally that as a taller guy, it's helped me, uh, you know, not on the golf course, just in terms of how my hips are feeling, how my back mm -hmm. is feeling, which, which is, which is a great thing, which I'm super, um, excited about, but for the, the common player are, mm -hmm. is the back and hips, is that where you see the most tightness and need for improve or is it somewhere else in the body? Um, definitely the back and hip are the, one of the most common spots. I would say the most common we see, number one, is definitely where the spine go into the pelvis, that junction, where most people struggle with having enough mobility there just because people sit a lot nowadays. 
right? And then the other thing that we see a lot is upper spine and shoulders. Same thing with people being on computer and phones a lot more that the spine gets stiff and the muscles in the upper back a lot of times don't work properly, which restricts how people move their shoulder and rotate the upper body in the golf swing. So those two would definitely be the most common one that we see. Well, and another really cool thing about your facility is that, yes, there's this great space to do a bunch of drills some cables, all these different strength training specifically for golf. But there's also a golf simulator, so you get to hit balls. <laughs> What's it like for yes. you and your staff to, to have that ability to have a client come in, spend the first half of their assessment, uh, you know, getting worked on, getting, you know, getting some new drills to do, and then actually mm -hmm. getting to watch them hit balls. That's got to be great for you guys and great for the client, too, to take some of the changes that you've implemented and see if they, see if they pay off. Yeah, for sure. So I insisted on we having the simulator because... At the end of the day, if we work on the body and the body started moving better, it's hard to know if it translates into the golf swing until we work on that part. So like after the assessment in the follow-ups, what we do is we will do a combination of manual therapy, corrective exercise, strengthening, and then we spend like the last 15, 20 minutes working on it to translate in the golf swing so that if you learn how to move and stabilize your hip a certain way, we want to make sure you can do it while you are having the club in your hand as well so that you can go play. When you go play, it's better. <laughs> well, I, you know, I've enjoyed my first couple of sessions with you, Michelle, and I know all of our uh, listeners tuning into this right now and people watching this too will as well. Where can people find more information on the Swing Lab Performance and Therapy? Uh, yeah, so... You can go onto our website, swinglabtheory.com, and we actually do have a home assessment guide that people can download and kind of go through a couple tests and then book a complimentary consultation with us where we'll go over your results with you and kind of see what is causing the restriction and how we may help you. And you can also find us on Instagram at swinglabto. And... I think, yeah, and Facebook, <laughs> Facebook at Swing Lab Performance and Therapy. Well, well, Michelle, like I mentioned, I've really enjoyed the first couple sessions I've gone to. I know TSN Radio Program Director Jeff McDonald's also been very high, <laughs> very keen on his experience yes, with you so here. far. <laughs> Definitely. Thanks for your time today, and we'll talk to you soon. Thank you. This segment of GTC presented by TaylorMade was brought to you by WeatherTech Canada, Canada's leader in automotive accessories. This is Golf Talk Canada, presented by TaylorMade. This segment of GTC is brought to you by Play Golf Myrtle Beach. No destination in the world can match Myrtle Beach's volume of golf, quality, and value. Come discover why Myrtle Beach is the golf capital of the world. Wrapping up hour one of our best of edition of GTC, I'm Adam Scully. Now, one of the favorite things we do here on GTC is when we get a chance to interview some of the winners from PGA Tour Canada. And from one of the first events of the season, the ATV Classic in Edmonton, Will Bateman took that home and he spoke with Mark and myself. Will, how are you, man? Uh, congratulations. Awesome. I know you've been out there. I know you've been professional for quite some time, playing for, for quite some time. What's it mean to, to finally be a winner? And what's it mean to do it in Edmonton? Oh, it's huge. Um, you know, first first win on, you know, PJ Tour Canada and uh to do it in my hometown in front of uh, you know, everybody that was there it was it was massive. 
Now, not only was it your hometown, you also played golf at the Edmonton Petroleum Golf and Country Club from the age of 6 to 12. So give us some perspective on how much that meant to not only play in front of home fans, but on your home course, too. Yeah, um, you know, grew up there when I was younger and, uh, you know, played there a bunch. So it was, uh, you know, home turf, I felt like. Um, but, yeah, I just I try to stay patient all weekend, uh, you know, to chip in in, in the playoff on, you know, 18 in front of uh, in front of everyone, everybody going nuts. It was, uh, it was a lot of fun. Will, you played well in the opening event, 67, 65, 68, when you were out in Victoria, and then you closed with 73, had a rough Sunday. Did you learn from that Sunday, and did you anticipate this coming? Because you shot rounds of 65, 67, 68, 65, a bookend 65 in this one. I just get the feeling that you were just not going to let this one get away. Yeah, um, honestly, I, I felt like I played really, really good last week. Um, just we, we kind of, you know, being in contention there, um, we got some terrible weather. Um, basically, you know, the morning wave basically was no wind, no rain for, you know, four, four or five hours. And then as soon as 12 o'clock hit, there was, you know, it was blowing 20 and, and raining. So um, I basically just, you know, told myself to stay patient. And I knew that, you know, putting myself in contention um, again, and I was going to get some good weather eventually. And luckily it was the week after, but it was, it was fun. So we mentioned this briefly, Will, that you won in a three-way, three-man playoff, and you chipped in for the second playoff hole to get the victory. Walk us through what that chip in was like, what, what kind of shot you were facing, and what reaction was like right after it went in. Yeah, um, I, you know, going into that shot uh, in regulation, I, I actually putted it, and um, I didn't know where I was at because I'm not really, you know, I don't really watch leaderboards too much, but... Um, you know, I, I putted in regulation, and it was pretty sticky in there. So I, I, I left it like 15 feet short and ended up missing that, making par from, you know, I was only, you know, 20, 30 feet from the pin in regulation. But anyways, I hit it I hit it there in the, on the second playoff hole, and it was a no-brainer that I was going to chip it. And I kind of just went into it uh, thinking that, you know, I hold the shot on my buddies all the time and just do it one more time and ended up, Going in. Now, of course, we always talk about, Will, how the U.S. Open ends on Father's Day. But for you, you got a victory also on Father's Day. How special was that? No, it was fun. Um, you know, my dad was right there. And, yeah, just, you know, chipping in and then going, giving him, giving him a big hug and, and telling him, I told you. <laughs> <laughs> it was cool. It was really cool. Well, before we let you go off the top, we were talking about, you know, the return of the RBC Canadian Open, but obviously the return of PGA Tour Canada. And, you know, what does it mean to someone like yourself and some of your, you know, colleagues out there to have the tour back this year, full flight, a full schedule, strong sponsors, uh, a, a real place to play and get tuned and hopefully make the next step to the Corn Ferry Tour and beyond. How important was it for you that it is back this year on Canadian soil? Yeah, it's been huge. Um, I've, uh, I've I've really been looking forward to it. You know, I, I was looking forward to it, honestly, last year um, before that they, uh, they made the Form Tour and uh, we decided to play in the States. But 
you know, to have it back this year and, and to be playing some really good golf and, and knowing that um, I'm going to some courses that are familiar and, you know, obviously being up on, on home turf, it's, uh, it's been massive. And I think that, you know, Scott's been doing an amazing job with getting some great sponsors and um, I think it's going to be a really, really fun year and just looking forward to the rest of it. Congratulations, Will. Good luck the rest of the way. Let's uh, let's hope we do this again on another uh, Winner's Monday here on Golf Talk Canada. Let's grab a few more W's. Talk to you next week, man. There you go. <laughs> I love it. That's what I'm talking about. We'll take care. Thanks, Will. Will Bateman. Awesome stuff there from Will. Now to segue, I mentioned off the top the stack system, and this is something that Mark Zacchino has been using to increase swing speed, and the stack system is something that Matthew Fitzpatrick has also been using. Of course, he won the U.S. Open. Who's behind the stack system? Dr. Sasho McKenzie, who spoke with Mark. Here's part one of that interview. All right, I can't be uh, more excited to have our next uh, guest with us. If you've been listening to Golf Talk Canada over the last few months, uh, going back Earlier into the spring, you heard me complain about how I was feeling slow, feeling old, uh, needed to do something about it. Uh, started poking around online, uh, spoke to my good uh, friend, uh, Ian Fraser from TXG, uh, who we do stuff with here in Toronto. And uh, the stack system kept coming up in conversation. So I decided I was going to do something. See if I could get my speed back, see if I could get back to maybe some numbers that I hadn't seen in a very long time and do it in a way that hopefully didn't completely ruin my golf swing. So that's why I asked <laughs> our current guest to join us right now, uh, Dr. Sasha McKenzie, who is with the Department of Human Kine uh, Kinetics, St. Francis Xavier, PhD in sports biomechanics, and the co-founder of the Stack System. So uh, doctor, first off, uh, I want to thank you for inventing this because I have had tremendous success and, and it's really brought a lot of kind of joy back into the game for me this year, which I haven't had in a very long time. Uh, before we get into my personal findings, the recent success on tour, uh, most recently with the U.S. Open champion, let's go back to the beginning. Before you describe to our audience what the system is where did the idea come from where where did you take you know your background your education your knowledge and come up with the idea of how i'm going to create this system and target this area and people can learn to be faster yeah it um well first of all thanks for having me on mark i appreciate it um it probably comes from my track and field background um you know the, the lots of experiences and information that kind of led to the development of the system, but primarily it was um, track and field. I was a track athlete university. I coached track for a long time. And with track and field, most of the events is just about being faster. So there's, you can't get lost in the weeds of lots of other statistics, you know, finding fairways and short game and approach. It's, Hey, you have to move faster. And it's been a lot of research done in track and field and how you can sprint faster. And one of those uh, ways is through overload and overspeed um, training. So that would be uh, overload would be uh, running with some slight amount of resistance with just the appropriate amount of, of load um, and then being towed by um, something. So something that's helping you with just the right amount. So you're running a certain percentage faster. 
um, and uh, it's it's very much uh, fine tuned. So you can't just tow anything and get faster at sprinting. You can't just get pulled by anything and get faster at sprinting. There's specific loads uh, that you need to use, and it's it, it's um, known to be very individualistic. So. Um, it, you know, I was a multi-event athlete in track and field, 180 pounds, um, and uh, ran the 100 meters in about 11 seconds. One of my training partners, 220 pounds, so 40 pounds heavier than me, also ran the 100 meters in 11 seconds. But the the loads that we would use to do overload and overspeed um, sprint training were quite different. Um, so the in golf, the you know the two things really, everybody tends to to swing at about 90%. So you look at tour players or average golfers, you go out there when you play around the golf, you're not swinging um, as hard as you can. Um, so you never get a training effect. You know, if you don't golf at all, if you've never golfed before and you go out and you play golf, then eventually you'll get faster because just you're, you're getting used to swinging at all. But if you took a track and field sprinter, 100 meter sprinter, and you had them sprint at 90% all the time, they're not gonna go anywhere. You need to, you need to push that. So yeah, you need to swing. Uh, maximally, but also you can get the added benefit of fine-tuning um, these loads and um, the, to the individual. And I looked at the existing systems out there and, and there were, hey, here are three weights and everybody's going to use these three weights all the time. Um, and that would be like, you know, um, when I went through track and field, hey, here's one sled with this amount of weight on it. Everybody's going to tow that or these three different weights. And no, we want to figure out the exact load for you. So that, that's kind of the origins of um, uh, why I thought about developing a speed system for golf. The rest of that interview and much more coming up in hour two right here on GTC. This segment of GTC presented by TaylorMade was brought to you by Play Golf Myrtle Beach. No destination in the world can match Myrtle Beach's volume of golf, quality, and value. Come discover why Myrtle Beach is the golf capital of the world. Thank you for listening to Hour 1 of GTC. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Golf Talk Canada. For show archives, podcasts, and all things GTC, visit golftalkcanada.com. And don't miss Golf Talk Canada Television weekly on the TSN Television Network. This is Hour 2 of Golf Talk Canada, presented by Picton Mahoney Asset Management. For over 15 years, our focus has been on helping Canadians stay invested in all market conditions, including this one. Now, here are your hosts, Mark Zacchino, Bob Weeks, and Adam Scully. Welcome back inside our August Long Weekend Best of Edition of GTC. I'm Adam Scully. Coming up in hour two, we'll play one of our recent and most favorite editions of Winners Weird and What. We'll be joined by one of the latest winners on PGA Tour Canada, as well our three-part series talking about the stack system with Mark and Dr. Sasho McKenzie continues. Here's part two. I've tried some of those other systems in the past. Uh, did I get slightly faster immediately? Yes. Did I have huge improvements? No. Uh, at the same time, it threw off my sweet, uh, sequencing. Um, I really didn't like what it did to my golf swing. It didn't make me swing smarter. I want to get into a couple of those things with you. Before we do, this system, I found the stack system different 
immediately. People ask me to describe it to them. I said, well, it comes with, you know, a stick with a grip that you yep. can change the weights on to make heavier, lighter. There it is. Thank you for having, I should have had mine with me here, here as well. Mine's in my golf bag. <laughs> and it runs you through a series of programs. And I, I describe it and I'm describing it obviously in layman's terms. When I'm describing it to Bob and Adam on the show, I'm saying it through these series of exercises, it, it, it kind of learns where you're slow and where you can improve and then designs a series of exercises that I did for, I think, a 45 day period off the top of my head. I think that was the number in which it's targeting in those areas. And I got some incredible results and I found out a bunch of amazing things. But am I am I describing that accurately? Because to me, it's not just what you showed us. It's the app and the software and, and the information and data being collected to target you as an individual that separates the system for me. Yeah, absolutely. That, that's correct. Uh, so my, my co-founder, Marty Jertsen, um, who's the VP of Innovation and Fitting at Ping, did an amazing job designing a, a hardware solution that compare with the app. But most of the magic really is in the app. So um, first thing you described it pretty well, we do a ba every uh, golfer goes through a baseline test. The app guides you through, tells you what weights to add on, tells you how long to rest. Um, you even swing your own driver in the baseline. And the purpose is we want to know, um, are, are you struggling with swinging things that are slightly heavier than your driver or things that are slightly lighter than your driver? So do you need more overload or more overspeed? Um, and we also do single arm testing um, in the app. So maybe one of your arms is a limitation. And we also ask you some questions. Um, you know, hey, does your driver feel really heavy um, is one, uh, one question that we ask. And so we get that information along with your profile information, your age, your current handicap, um, how far you're currently hitting the ball. And all that information goes into a series of algorithms and we provide a rank ordered list of programs. So the, the first program that pops up is the one that we feel based on a lot of data and science is gonna give you the fastest gains um, uh, and the biggest gains. So how quickly can you get speed and, and, and in the most efficient manner? You can choose the other programs, they're just not the most recommended. So then you'll pick that program um, and each workout then becomes uh, customized based on how you're currently performing. So after that first workout, uh, it might be slightly different than your baseline. That's okay. We're going to use that information from the first workout as well as the baseline to then program your second workout. Um, and those, the weights that you're swinging will constantly change throughout the program, depending on how, how you change. No different than if, um, if anybody's familiar with lifting weights, if your trainer wanted you doing uh, a set of six incline bench press with 60 pound dumbbells and you did eight of them, well then your trainer or you should figure out, well, the next workout, I should probably lift more weight because I'm, I'm not gonna progress. Um, so we, uh, we have those algorithms built in the app. It tells you when to work out. It tells you how long to rest between each swing, between each set. And you know, a big issue, one of, the, one of the other things that we have along, you know, side of all this uh, great stuff to tell you exactly the best workout for you is it's very motivating because you have um, uh, your personal bests 
get saved as you go along. So if you swing one swing, that's the fastest ever with that weight, the app gives you a cheer. And if you have an average for the set that's faster, it gives you a cheer. So it's cost, it's motivating to see, hey, I, I am actually improving. Um, and it's, it's telling you that. Uh, and you can see, you know, these graphs are showing you, hey, here's your, here's how you're improving. We also have a great number called a, a grit score. It's how well you're adhering to the program. Um, so, you know, if you decide, oh, okay, I'm going to take, you know, a lot of time between sets here, or I'm going to take time between workouts, your grit score drops. So that, you know, that's also motivating to say, hey, look, okay, I'm, I'm going to stick to this program. And that information is really important for us because we're constantly with, with we've now got about 10,000 users. And so just like yourself, you're kind of a participant in a research study, even though you don't know it. So your program is gonna be slightly different. You're with 300 golfers. It's gonna be slightly different from a 300 other golfers, maybe in terms of the rest or the exact weight you're swinging. And then you do a pre-test and a post-test. We'll see how your speed improved at the end. We repeat the baseline after the program and we can tell what's better. Um, so, hey, is, is 30 seconds of rest better than 25? You know, um, should, we, should you be swinging weights at 115% of your driver's speed or 112%? Things that you, you know, would take forever to do in a, a research environment like I'm in right now. Usually when you do a study at university, it's, hey, let's have a group of 20 golfers in this group, a group of 20 golfers in that group. We've got hundreds and we're constantly running studies within the app so the, the the programs are changing we're getting better and better it's there's really no speed system in any sport that that can claim that uh well i'm i'm uh i'm uh, sold 100 uh i just completed my first program in fact i started my second one so for my first two programs uh i want to throw some things at you and get you to comment to see are these things normal and are my reactions things that you've heard along the way um, from my original baseline, I started, now I started from a very slow position. So I was wondering, you know, are my gains abnormal? Because I started from such a spot where, you know, I was not swinging well. I was fighting my swing. I had a bunch of different swing thoughts. So all these things were adding up to me being slower as well, because I just didn't have any confidence in anything I was doing. So I started off with a stack speed rating of, of 94, yep. a driver speed of 110, and a distance potential of 306. After my first program, I've gone from 94 to 99, from 110 to 115, and from 306 to 322. I put in the work, I followed the program to a T, I'm hitting the golf ball at my home club in places I haven't hit it in 15 years. I mean, I'm shocked playing with my buddies. They're like, you haven't hit it there since you're in your early thirties. I'm 47. Yeah. Um, so I've seen this with my own eyes. Uh, I also felt like it got me on a good path because of that data that you were just telling us about and those benchmarks and congratulations. This is the fastest you've done it. I felt like I got on a better path with my swing. I found that certain motions or certain things I was doing in my swing weren't efficient, wasted energy. Why am I doing this? And it got mm -hmm. me on, on a singular path with my golf swing, which was a wonderful finding as well. So I've just started my second program, which was the one that was suggested. We're only, I believe, two workouts in. I've seen... 
at the moment to hit a bit of a ceiling. But the one thing I'm very curious about is something that I found out when I went through my second baseline testing, which is where I might go for my next workout, my third workout, you know, in another 40 days from now, is I'm a right-handed person who's a left-handed golfer. Mike Weir, Mike Weir, Phil Mickelson. Me. Okay, yourself, Jordan Spieth, left-handed person who swings the club right-handed. My lead arm is 20 miles an hour quicker in testing than my trail arm. I mean, I've got to think there is a world load of speed somewhere locked in this really weak trail arm that I'm not using. So basically, I knew I threw a lot at you there, but are those findings of what I uh, spoke about? Is this normal? Is this what people experience? And, and and not just that, but about learning to be more efficient and finding where your weaknesses are. Yeah. So those, happily, those results are, are pretty typical. Um, you, the, the way, when I look at a golfer um, like yourself, Mark, 47, I'm 44. Um, there's about a, a 20 mile per hour difference in you in a minimally trained state or me and a maximally trained state. And if you're at the minimally trained state, so uh, let's say for you, that would be 100 miles per hour with the driver, okay? Then for you, that would mean that your maximally trained state would be about 120. Give or take, there's going to be a little bit of fluctuation for everybody. Now, if you trained optimally at your age, you might be able to, in five years, get up to that 120. Okay, now you maybe you maybe you started higher than 100. Maybe for you it's 125. But there's about a 20 mile per hour gap there. What we're trying to do with the stack system is as quickly as we can take as much of that gap away. Let's get you up to that uh, 120 as fast as we can. Now, in in reality, there are a lot of things that have to happen in the body um, that take a long time to actually get to that 120. Um, and eventually, if you're at 120, if you're at your peak, like a Kyle Berkshire is, that's all the guy does is train and he's very close to 160 mile per hour club head speed. Once you get there, or if you're in your constantly in this maximally minimally trained state, you're going to start slowing down after 30. Okay, but what's what's great for you and me is that we're not at our maximum. So you pick up the stack and you get you gained about uh, five or six miles per hour. Right. So I would guess then, you know, you you might in this, you know, over the whole first year, you might get up to nine or 10. But then in the second year, if you you train consistently, you might tick off another three or four. And then in the third year, you might get one or two. And then but the way I've been kind of I'm now in like year three or four of, of my training. And I'm to be honest, I'm not willing to to train 12 months a year. I'm very happy, you know, my ceiling's probably around 130. Um, I'm very happy having a maximum speed of around 125 and, and playing in the one teens, you know? And, and so I lose speed, like I don't train much this time of year, weather in Canada. Um, I, I could try to keep my speed up, but I'd rather golf and do stuff with my sure. family. And you know what, January, February, March, hey, I got some time to gain my speed back up. Um, and so I'll be using the stack for the rest of my life, you know, to try and get, get as close to that ceiling as I can um, and maintain it there. Uh, but I'm not willing to sacrifice everything to make sure I get to 130. Some guys are. That's great. And we have the system to do that. This segment of GTC was presented by Picton Mahoney Asset Management. 
For over 15 years, our focus has been on helping Canadians stay invested in all market conditions, including this one. This is Golf Talk Canada, presented by Picton Mahoney Asset Management. This segment of GTC is brought to you by the Muskoka Bay Club and Resort. Live, stay, and play. Welcome back inside our August-long weekend best-of edition of Golf Talk Canada. I'm Adam Scully. Well, we've heard the first two parts of our in-depth look at the stack system, which many players on the PGA Tour are using, including Matthew Fitzpatrick. Yes, Matthew Fitzpatrick, who won the U.S. Open using that stack system. Here's the third and final part. Once again, Mark and Dr. Sasho McKenzie. Must be very gratifying recently. You know, Matt Fitzpatrick thanking you in, in a U.S. Open press conference, the success you've seen at the highest level. People like me just reaching out to you seven, eight weeks ago saying, hey, uh, you know, can you help me? Uh, and not, now me sitting here saying, hey, if you put in the work, this works. It, it's on you to just put in the work, your grit score, for lack of a better way of putting it. Uh, yeah. How gratifying is this, has this been for you? Yeah, it, it, it's been pretty awesome, you know, on a couple of levels um, uh, from uh, my, a big passion of mine is science, running experiments, finding answers to things. So to be able to, to do science on a really large scale, high quality science, like you, you've done the workout. Um, so I know the effort level you're putting in. I can see that in the app. I know what your rests were, your, you know, your, your, your all of that stuff. So I'm, I'm running really good science. We are with, with these programs. So to learn a lot about what, what are the best ways to generate speed. So that's very gratifying um, for all the amateur golfers out there that are using it. But then, you know, also maybe even to an extent on a different level of gratifying is to um, take players at the, the top level, the, 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 the best of the best, like a Matt Fitzpatrick um, and be the tipping point for him. You know, so he, he, he was a world-class player um, by, you know, by any measure, but wanted more. He wants to win. And he didn't have the distance to do that. You know, majors are, are it. That's what the best players in the world want. They want to win majors. Um, and your odds of winning a major with a club at speed of 112 miles per hour are low. You know, if you are coming in with four irons and your playing partners are coming in with wedges and nine irons, uh, that's tough. You're giving up a lot of strokes. Um, so to be able to, uh, you know, have the stack system and, and my training programs and working with Matt and have him, you know, I like to think of it as the tipping point because, um, yeah, maybe I, you know, gave him a little bit better performance or help with that, but his coach, his trainer, his stats, all the, all the work he's put in, got him to be, a, you know, a very elite golfer. It was just that he needed that little bit extra, um, to really push him over the edge and, and uh, speed was it, you know, and, and just not just speed, but also um, his driving ability overall is better um, because of the stack training. You know, he, he, he feels like he can control his golf ball more. Well, a hundred percent too. And to your point, what, what we push our limits to in training is not necessarily how we're going to swing that golf club on the golf course, but I'm bringing up my baseline along the way. Yeah. So now my, you know, my fairway finder is all of a sudden five miles an hour quicker than my old fairway finder because my yeah. home run balls five miles an hour quicker, so to speak. So 
Uh, I, I'm a huge fan. Bef before we say goodbye, um, from a personal standpoint, uh, or someone like me, or someone, one of our viewers, or one of our listeners decides to take this journey, as I go along, any trap doors, because, you know, uh, I kind of related it a little bit to weight loss and, and weight fluctuation or anything like that. You, you will hit plateaus and it's hard to stay disciplined to stay with it because, you know, all of a sudden the scale doesn't drop as fast as it was dropping in the first 15 pounds or 10 pounds because now you're into the real hard work. I saw this great jump in speed early and now I feel like I've kind of plateaued a, a, a bit for a while. I'm going to keep going, keep going hard. Are there any trap doors like that? Things to know about, ways to stay motivated that you'd like to pass along? Yeah, so so we have about um, a point, about point one percent, not quite point one percent of our users that that see less than uh, you know a two mile per hour gain. Um, so that's a very small number. You know, most are higher than that. But when I and because they're so small, I can reach out to them directly if they haven't contacted me and said, "Hey, I haven't been gaining." Um, the biggest thing is not swinging with the intents that we suggest in the app. So before every set, you'll know this. It shows you what weights to load on. There's a picture of the stack, load these weights on. It tells you the intent to use, could be a full intent, which is as hard as you'd swing on a course, max intent, which is, you know, it's okay to lose balance. And most folks don't reach that max intent. So they'll send me videos. Um, I'll try to get to the bottom of things. And every swing is perfectly in balance. You know, and, and, and I'll say, hey, take a look at your swing and take a look at the way guys like uh, Victor Hovland is swinging on the course. He's actually swinging with more effort on the course than you are swinging in training. That's not going to work. You, you, if you swing at 96 or 97%, you won't get the training effect. So that's the biggest thing is that you have to swing hard. If you never lose balance ever and you never feel at your risk of losing balance and you're not swinging hard enough, you're not going to get that stimulus. You're, you're really cutting your, your training short. Um, so, so that's the, uh, probably the, you know, the biggest, uh, the biggest trap door. And also you're getting frustrated with speed plateaus. So well, you'll, we'll see big gains, hopefully in the first uh, program, which is 18 sessions, maybe it's six miles an hour, maybe it's 10 miles per hour. But what you have to realize is that's not sustainable. Like, so if you look at someone like, uh, Fitzpatrick who two years ago started at about 112. And at the RBC Canadian Open, he averaged 119, which is a massive transformation. Any tour player would be like, you're going to give me seven miles per hour, sign me up. Yes. Um, but that was over two years. Um, and so you start, you start doing some division and you're like, hey, uh, seven miles per hour over two years, that's like half a mile per hour a month. So he could go a month and see nothing. Man, I, I put in, you know, I did 12 workouts. Why hasn't the needle moved? Um, there's stimuluses that are changing your system. They just haven't shown themselves yet in terms of speed because you're, you know, maybe you're a bit fatigued, you're doing other things. Um, but then the next month there's two miles per hour, right? Maybe the month after that's a mile per hour. And then you go two months with nothing. But if, if you stay committed, then you can, you can slowly chip away. So um, people will say, Hey, I've plateaued. I've gone five sessions in a row and I've gotten slower. Yeah. That's okay. What's great about the app is that uh, it's kind of a double-edged sword is that it, you have that speed feedback for every session, but it's not normal in sport to test yourself every workout. 
Do you know what I mean? It's right. track and right. field athletes are fine. They've got their target times and they know they're not going to run PBs every workout. And it's fine. It's kind of part of the culture. But I think, it, you know, with, with golfers, it's like you start to see those gains every workout and you think this will continue. Ah, don't, be, don't be too concerned if you go a long period of time um, with, without seeing speed increases. Think of a long-term goal. You're going to use the stack for the rest of your life. It's going to try to, you're going to hopefully close that gap, get up to your maximum potential, you know, over a couple of years um, and hopefully not, not regress. Right. So just kind of, as long as you get a workout in every five days, you can kind of keep your speed up. That's what I try to do over the summer. And then um, if you have some more, uh, you know, some downtimes throughout the year, try to fill in a full workout, you know, like a full speed spectrum or a foundation program that you've done and make a little bit of gain um, and try not to slide backwards. Well, thank you so much for your time. Uh, I, I mean, if you put in the work, I know this works. Uh, nothing but benefits for anybody serious about getting faster, getting stronger, and just uh, investing in their swing. He is Dr. Sasha McKenzie, the co-founder of The Stack System. It is thestacksystem.com. Check it out. I highly recommend it. Doctor, I'd love to do this again with you down the road. Circle Great. back. And uh, let you know where we're, where I'm at, and, and and just revisit all this if you've got time down the road. Be happy to. Thanks so much for your time. Okay. Thank you, Mark. This segment of GTC presented by Picton Mahoney Asset Management was brought to you by the Muskoka Bay Club and Resort. Live, stay, and play. This is Golf Talk Canada. Presented by Picton Mahoney Asset Management. This segment of GTC is brought to you by Cadillac. Experience the iconic Cadillac sedans and SUVs in a personalized live video tour with all your questions answered in real time. Book your tour at Cadillac.live. Welcome back inside our August long weekend best of edition of Golf Talk Canada. I'm Adam Scully. Well, winners, weird, and what is our favorite time of the show we love to recap some of the weird and wacky things going on in the world of golf and in this particular edition of three dub mark at the t you want answers i think i'm entitled you want answers i want the truth you can't handle the truth all right well the truth is i promised an all ireland edition of winners weird and what this week so here it is throw out the world rankings light them on fire your golf digest top 100 your this or that i'm not a huge fan of golf course ratings etc because i think you kind of get to a level where i like to say i don't know if it's the best in the world but i know that it's in a group of places where there's nothing better you know, and now it's just personal preference. And I think on this side of the pond where the places that we can travel to and we can access, those places inc include Cabot, Bandon Dunes, Pebble Beach, places like that. And on the opposite side of the world, they include uh, Royal County Down and Royal Doorknock and St. Andrews and Turnberry, and they include Old Head Golf Links. I mean... In a tremendous experience, uh, I think it ranks somewhere like 86 on the Golf Digest Top 100 list. Um, it's not even close to 86. Uh, for Top 100 outside the world, this is clearly inside the Top 20, in my opinion, should be inside the Top 10. A brilliant, brilliant experience. 18 holes, 500 feet above uh, the water all day. It's uh, Pebble Beach on steroids. 
five-star accommodations. It is a brilliant, breathtaking property that makes you nervous all day walking along the cliffs. Bob, you know what it reminds me of? When you get to like 16, 17, 18 at Cabot Cliff, it's got that feeling. Only they've got 14 of those holes. It's absolutely tremendous. Sounds like a pretty uh, neat spot to be. I've seen the pictures of it. I've never been there, but uh, it would certainly, just by looking at the pictures, uh, have to go right on everybody's must playlist. It's a must. Anybody thinking of going to Ireland, anybody that's going to reach out to TJ at Golfway Tours, if you've got something planned already to Southwest Ireland and Old Head is not in your rotation, call your agent, blow it up, add Old Head, or you're making a huge mistake. Okay, my weird? I had to buy shorts, boys. I had to buy <laughs> shorts in a pro shop in Ireland. I went with a toque. I went with sweaters. I went with pants, and I'll tell you why. I've been to Ireland four or five times. I love the country. It's one of my favorite places in the world to play golf. I've never been warm once in Ireland. I've had moments of warmth, but I have never spent 18 holes of golf warm. Never mind hot. With 26 degrees and sunny, 30 degrees and sunny. I mean, Adam, I was sweating bullets, completely unprepared. I had completely the wrong luggage. And I found myself in pro shops buying shorts, buying this, buying that. I mean, to get weather. You've played golf over there. You know what I'm talking about. I had completely the wrong gear. I mean, Mark, you're the one who says the first decision on the golf course always starts in the closet. I mean, but, but I, I will say what I have learned now going over in Ireland is to bring shorts. And if it gets cold, you have the rain pants ready to go in in the bag to just put, put over your shorts. But, I mean, you you had some unbelievable weather. That's what I, I kept looking at the photos saying, are you in Ireland or are you in Florida right now? We got to Adair Manor on day one. It was about 18, 19 Celsius and a little bit overcast, no rain. The rest of the week, 25 and sunny and up, absolutely crazy. And my what this week, and I told you guys this would come up later in winter's word of what, what have we done to Pearson International Airport? <laughs> Listen, I've never been a fan. I'm going to be honest. Uh, you know, Bob, you and I have spent a lifetime in airports, okay? They're not my favorite places in the world. And Pearson has never actually been near or at the top of my list. I've always found it to be an airport that eh, doesn't operate quite uh, quite as good as it should for to service the amount of people it needs to service in Southern Ontario. But boys, what have we done? I mean, it is, off, it is completely off the rails. We had guys show up on our trip with no golf equipment. We had golf equipment get lost on the way home. Uh, guys can't get through security, three-hour waits, hallways look. I mean, something has to be done. I feel so bad for the travel industry. Um, you know, they were shut down for so long. Uh, there's so many people that were waiting for the comeback of travel to get people moving again, reconnect friends, family, industry, and this is what we're doing. Listen, I don't, I'm not a genius. I don't have the answers, but I know something needs to be done. That's pretty clear above my pay grade, but wow unbelievable at this point if i'm traveling with golf equipment again i don't care what the cost is guys it is ship sticks all the way uh i mean i am not risking uh, going anywhere needing golf equipment and, and leaving it up to this uh this circus 
happening at Pearson Airport. And as uh, Jamie Rydell, and happy birthday to Jamie Rydell, by the way, belated birthday, as he uh, said on Twitter, Pearson International Airport, otherwise known as Satan's A-hole. I think that kind of sums it up, Jamie Rydell. Okay, Bob, the tea is now yours. So, so what do I do, just aim for the pond? No, you're not supposed to hit it into the water. But you hit it into the water. I know I hit it into the water. Well, why do they even have water if you're not supposed to hit it there? Because it's fun! We're having fun! Look, it went further than your ball. All right, guys, my winner this week uh, goes out to uh, Golf Canada, who uh, I had the pleasure of attending a presser, big launch of their new headquarters. They're going to move out of Glen Abbey, which they've been in since 1975, I believe, and they're going to build a new facility up at Osprey Valley. So it's, uh, it's a pretty cool development. It's not going to be just a, any little small building or something. They're going to basically move their headquarters. Golf Ontario is going to move up there. The Canadian Golf Hall of Fame and Museum is going to go up there. The Club Managers Association is going to go up there. They're going to have an indoor training facility, and they're also going to have a public, um, mini- not miniature golf, public putting course, sort of like they have the Himalayas at the old course in St. Andrews. So it's a, it's a cool project. It's going to take them a little while. I think they're going to break ground next year and hopefully be in it two years later. But obviously when, uh, when Glen Abbey... Um, uh, was being threatened to be redeveloped, they had to kind of go out and figure out where they were going to go to. So, Mark, this sounds like a pretty cool idea, don't you think? Yeah, I was excited to see the announcement. I was upset to be away. I would have loved to have been there to support our friends at uh, Golf Ontario and, and Golf Canada and Lawrence especially, etc. And, Bob, this just kind of coincides with the uh, hotel, cabins, convention center, and potentially future site of the Canadian Open, I would assume, as well. Yeah, we'll see if that comes about. It's a still it's still a little ways out of the city, but it's getting closer by uh, the uh, expansion of the 410 recently. Uh, my weird this week takes us out to the Alberta uh, Mid-Am Championship, and I'm not sure if you saw this one, but it was a, quite a finish. It looked like it was going to be sort of an average uh, finish for Ryan Ware, who uh, had a two-shot lead standing on the final hole, and he hit his shot into a uh, very, very tall pine tree bordering the fairway on the right-hand side. And obviously he wanted to try and find this golf ball. He climbed up, and you have to go and watch the video. Maybe we can put it up on our uh, Golf Talk Canada website. But he climbed all the way almost to the top of this tree, and with everything he had, he was shaking the tree to try and get that ball to fall out. Something did fall out, and they were saying, there it is. But it turned out it was just a pine cone. Unfortunately for where he uh, didn't quite get it done and ended up with, a, I think, a nine on the, uh, on the hole and to, uh, to lose the tournament when he had it pretty much locked in. But I give him A for effort for going up and climbing up the tree. Adam Scully, have you ever climbed a tree? You're tall as a tree, so you could probably just <laughs> with one arm just shake it or something. But what's the, what's the biggest extent you've gone to to try and find a lost ball? Okay, I mean... To answer your first question, no, I haven't tried to climb a tree because I'd probably break every bone in my body if I tried to do that. <laughs> I've hit out a couple water hazards before. I, I haven't gone tarps off to hit a golf ball out of a water hazard. I've thought about it a couple times, but, you know, I just didn't really want to do it. But that's the to the furthest extent I'll go. I mean, generally, if, if it's a lost ball, you look for two minutes and say, you know what, it's just a golf ball. But, I mean, good good for this guy. 
the extra effort was appreciated, and we'll definitely be showing this video on GTC TV this week. <laughs> okay. Uh, and my what this week is what a nice victory for Monet Chun, who won the uh, 108th Canadian Women's Amateur Championship on Friday at a beautiful golf course, Westmount Golf and Country Club. And uh, with that, this is a very interesting part. She gets a whole bunch of different things that she gets, where she'll get an invitation to the U.S. Women's Amateur in Chambers Bay at, uh, in August. She gets a uh, berth in the CP Women's Open. And for the first time ever, she gets a prize check of $1,200. Under the new rules of amateur golf, they are allowed to get some money, so she gets 1200 bucks to offset some of her expenses. So a great win for Monet Chun on a great golf course. Westmount is really a superb golf course. Uh, all right, Adam, the tee is now yours. 348. Oh. <laughs> oh, man, that is sweet. Before I get to my three-dub mark, I was at Pearson about 11 and a half hours ago, and there were bags everywhere going through it was it was a gong show to, to, to say the least and I, I didn't even have any check bags so i mean that was something but anyway my winner this week goes to our friends at TaylorMade, who uh, they have been posting videos throughout the year on their youtube channels where during their product shoot back in november <clears throat> or december they would do some fun little different activities and this one that was released was their dunk tank challenge where it, it happened after a chipping contest where the loser of this chipping contest had to go sit in a dunk tank and there was a, a, an aim point sort of just beside it and players were probably 20 or 30 yards away and had to chip and try to hit this little aim uh, sticker and then if they hit it, Colin Morikawa who was in the dunk tank would fall into it and you think 20, 30 yards away and how hard that is to hit a, a, a little aim, uh, a symbol or a sticker that's really not that big. And Rory McIlroy, first try, doink, Morikawa goes down into the water. <laughs> Pretty funny. I'll definitely be using this uh, as a part of 3-Dub on, on television this week, but uh, some good stuff there from our friends at TaylorMade. Okay, my weird this week. As golfers, whether you're a weekend hacker or a PGA Tour player, sometimes blisters become a thing. And because you're walking around in golf shoes sometimes you get a little sweaty sometimes your, your feet just aren't in good shape and scott piercy took this to the next level saturday's third round where he would take his right shoe off after every shot and carry it and walk around with his sock you think his sock must be drenched walking around but i mean mark have you ever had blisters to this extent because that is wild all i'm gonna say is this adam Eight rounds, eight days, up and down sand dunes in extreme heat in Ireland. Two brand new pairs of Tour, uh, Tour 360 Adidas. Perfectly comfortable. No issues whatsoever. He's obviously wearing the wrong footwear. He is. <laughs> Bob, during, during your times running, have you ever come across some, some bad blisties? Yeah, I've had a couple of bad blisties over the years. Um, and uh, they're not fun. And, but, but luckily, they have pretty pretty high intensity bandages now you can put on them <laughs> that gets the uh, the way i've seen some guys cross the finish line at races half marathons and marathons with their feet bleeding so uh that's that's taking it to another level yeah it sure is okay and my what this week before we go to break bryson dechambeau and his youtube page where he's been talking about you know creating content trying to get more time going to live and creating more interesting content and I have to give him kudos to, for this video. So he was doing a speed training session with none other 
Then Tim Tebow, you're thinking, why on earth are these guys doing a speed training session together? But anyway, they were. And if I, Bob, if I had to ask you, who hit 200 miles an hour of ball speed first? Was it DeChambeau or Tebow? Who would you say? Well, I would, I would say uh, DeChambeau, but it's probably not right. Tim Tebow hit 200 wow. miles an hour of ball speed first, which I was mind blown about. And then they did this workout, and I thought Bryson was actually going to keel over. Like he, <laughs> he did not like this workout. If if I did this workout, I'd be in in the hospital. It was an insane amount of of lifting, and you, your heart rate was going through the roof. But anyway, I I do recommend people check out this video. We'll show this on on TV as well this week. Tim Tebow can he's got kind of a quirky swing, but boy oh boy, can he get through the, through the ball quickly. On the other side, we'll hear from one of the recent winners on PGA Tour Canada and wrap up this week's edition of GTC. This segment of GTC, presented by Picton Mahoney Asset Management, was brought to you by Cadillac. Cadillac, experience the iconic Cadillac sedans and SUVs in a personalized live video tour with all your questions answered in real time. Book your tour at Cadillac.live. This is Golf Talk Canada, presented by Picton Mahoney Asset Management. This segment of GTC is brought to you by Adidas Golf and the all-new Tour 360 22. Tour 360 22 sits on the feet you wear last, serving as the foundation for the all-new Tour 360 fit, while the new direct-injected Spike More traction system will help golfers stay locked in. Wrapping up our August long weekend best of edition of Golf Talk Canada, I'm Adam Scully. Well, a couple of weeks ago on PGA Tour Canada, Danny Walker came out on top and won the Osprey Valley Open. Shortly after winning that tournament, he joined Mark, Bob and myself right here on Golf Talk Canada. Congratulations on your victory. Thanks for taking the time to join us. Before we jump into your Sunday, your season, your week up at Osprey Valley, Walk us through that approach on 18. Did you just have a perfect number? Did you say to yourself, let's go out and win this? Uh, I mean, great shot to man up and go out and grab the win. Yeah, uh, thanks, guys. Um, so definitely in regulation, um, I saw right where I needed to land that approach shot. The pin, the pin was sitting in, in a bowl there. Um, but it was a little tricky to access because if you flew it in the down slope of the bowl, it would kick off the back of the green. Um, so I had a good number for just like a three-quarter pitching wedge and just hit hit my spot exactly and, uh, you know, got wound up in there tight. Um, but definitely, yeah, in a playoff, I'm not I'm not pulling back. You know, you're trying to, trying to make birdie and, and, and close it out as quick as you can. Uh, speaking of closing it out quickly, you were the leader after three rounds, and there was some weather forecasted to roll in was there any thought that you needed to be in the lead after three rounds to perhaps uh if the last round got washed out um honestly that didn't really cross my mind until until someone asked me about it after the third round so (laughs) not really um you know mother nature is unpredictable so you know I'm, i'm gonna plan on playing 72 holes no matter what and then you know just let everything happen from there. It like you know you, you just can't try and force anything out there and 
and make sloppy bogeys. So, um, yeah, I was just trying to shoot the best the best score I could on on Saturday, and and ended up with a, a three shot lead going into Sunday. Now, Danny, you were leading uh, after that third round as well. After the second round, too, what was it like for you handling the nerves and the ner- the anticipation of sleeping on the lead for back to back nights heading into that final round? Yeah, it, it's definitely. I, I think the first time where I've had I've had the lead going into multiple rounds like that. I think when, when I have won events in the past, I've come come from behind a little more. So it's definitely. Um, definitely more stressful and more tiring week thankfully I, I did sleep pretty well every night um you know which isn't always a guarantee when you're in the lead um so so that was helpful um I, I think i just felt i felt pretty comfortable and confident with my game so i, I just I, I wasn't too worried about it i just knew i would i was going to give it my all and if someone went out and beat me so be it well, Danny, you're leading the way now. Fortnite Cup, you are first on the standing, coming off a of victory and heading to the Ontario Open. So good luck the rest of the way, and good luck this week. I know you don't have a lot of time to celebrate the win to get right back at it, but you've got momentum, and uh, who knows? Maybe you can go back-to-back, and we're having this same conversation next Monday. So congratulations on the victory, and good luck this week at Woodington Lake. Yeah, I hope so. Thanks, guys, so much. Appreciate it. Awesome victory for Danny Walker. And like I've mentioned before, really enjoy speaking with all the winners from PGA Tour Canada. They could be the future on the PGA Tour. Well, thanks for listening to this best of edition of Golf Talk Canada. Coming up next week, we'll have a full recap from the Women's British Open. Can Brooke Henderson get it done and win back-to-back major championships? How awesome would that be? Plus, the FedEx Cup playoffs also get underway next week. We'll recap the Wyndham Championship and look ahead to the playoffs. Thanks to everyone for listening. And remember, the first good decision on the golf course always starts in the closet. This segment of GTC presented by Picton Mahoney Asset Management was brought to you by Adidas Golf and the all-new Tour 360 22. Tour 360 22 sits on the feet you wear last, serving as the foundation for the all-new Tour 360 fit, while the new direct-injected Spike More traction system will help golfers stay locked in. Thank you for listening to GTC. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Golf Talk Canada. For show archives, podcasts, and all things GTC, visit GolfTalkCanada.com. And don't miss Golf Talk Canada Television weekly on the TSN Television Network.